We're going to um, read from God's Word now, and just to say for those who are new, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments in the morning services, and um, as per the kids' slot earlier today, we're on um, Thou shalt not steal, or do not steal this morning. And those are summarized in the Bible in Exodus um, chapter 20, in the kind of really short form that's usually on the wall in churches. But in Deuteronomy, Moses expounds on that as he preaches sermons to the Israelites. And that's what we're going to read today in the Old Testament reading. And then we're going to pick it up again in the New Testament reading as well. Our first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 25, starting at verse 13. Do not have differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of the Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Our second reading is from Ephesians, starting at chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not know, uh, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. 
In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is God's word. Do keep that first passage open in Deuteronomy chapter 24, or 25 rather, verse 13. Deuteronomy 25, verse 13, on page 203. And let me add my welcome to Andre. Say, it's very good to see you, uh, whether you're a regular or if you're a visitor. I know a number uh, of visitors are here today, and a few old friends as well, so it's very good to have you with us. Uh, we are, as Andre said, uh, continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. Today we come to the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal in Deuteronomy 5.19, but then, as Andre said, it's unfolded in chapters 10 to 26, the Ten Commandments, and we come to its unfolding in chapter 24 and 25, and today we're going to focus on that little portion at the end of 25 and the beginning of 26. Before we do that, let me lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we come again face to face with your law, we pray that you wouldn't just convict us and show us our sin, but that you might also, in your kindness and grace, change us to be more like you. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So then we come to uh, the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. Just four little words. Four little words. And yet as they're unfolded, this commandment is unfolded in uh, this part of Deuteronomy, we discover that these words tell a story. They tell a story of how people who once grabbed become people give. It tells the story of how grabbers become givers. So in the first part of our passage in chapter 25, we're taking on the first part of the journey, how grabbing can become the motto even of God's people as well as God's enemies. And then in chapter 26, we'll see that giving, giving can become our motto. But as soon as we say that this commandment tells a story like that, we've got an obstacle, we've got a problem, because actually we find both parts of that story hard to believe. So there'll be a group of us here this morning, I'm sure, who say, well, I don't have great confidence before the Ten Commandments, but the commandment you shall not steal, I think I can keep. I think I have kept. It's easy to keep. You shall not steal, provided you don't put a hoodie on and uh, sidle suspiciously in shop aisles and look at the security cameras. Well, then this commandment doesn't catch me. And we're not so crude and classist to limit it to that. So we know there's such a thing as white-collar theft. You can uh, tap on a keyboard you click of a mouse, and you can steal as well. But apart from those stereotypes, we think, well, that's as far as this commandment gets, which is not very close to us, we think. And the mistake we make is the mistake that I made when I traveled for the first time to the Swiss Alps, getting the train from Geneva. And in the distance, I could see the Alps, and they were undulating. They looked gentle. And I could pick out one in the distance, and I thought, well, I could climb that one. That one wouldn't find me out. And then when I come close to it, and I came face to face with it, it was higher and harder than I thought. And in a sense, it's like that with this commandment. And the first part of our passage, chapter 25, will bring us close, as it were, to the steep north face of this commandment. And we discover that it's higher and harder than we thought, and that we're guilty of breaking it. But if that's one group here today, there's a second group probably among us, which is quite different. Not so much I can keep this law, I can keep this commandment, but I know I can't. I would never pit myself against the commandments of God. I know that they will always find me out as a lawbreaker, as guilty and condemned, and that is the end of the story. 
And the mistake we make is that we say, the commandment leaves us where it finds us, as guilty people. It's the equivalent of uh, the Israelites saying when they were rescued from Egypt, God, you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. You've rescued us for no purpose. But God, and indeed his law, is never designed to leave people where he finds them. And so this commandment will tell us not just where God finds us, but where he's leading us to. And we'll discover in chapter 26, that's a very different place. It's a very different place as we live under God, the giver. Now, if you're, uh, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're very welcome. But the fact that it's possible, even possible to move from being someone who grasps and grabs for ourselves from others, to change to become a giver, well, that story ought to intrigue you. Because the promise here is that something can happen that no law, no human law could legislate for, no family or school could educate for. It's about changed people, changed hearts. And the the reality is it happens in relationship with the Lord. And so it ought to intrigue you. But as we come to uh, chapter 25 and verse 13, I want us to see that the Lord finds us here grabbing what we can for ourselves and not giving what is owed to others. This uh, whole section from chapter 24, verse 5, right through to the end of chapter 25, is all centered on the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And at the very hearts of each of the scenarios that are given, the stories that are told, we have this principle that stealing is grabbing what we can for ourselves, closing our hand, as it were, on what belongs to others, and then keeping it closed when we're supposed to give, refusing to give what is owed to others. Well, let's come up close to this portion of the law in verse 13 to 16. And we see that this commandment is broken by running a two-standard system, a double standard. That's all you need to do to break this commandment, is to run a two-standard system in your life. Verse 13, have a look with me. Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. So we break this commandment by having two different measures, a large one and a small one, a heavy one and a light one. But what is this double standard all about? What's it about? Why would someone walk around with two different weights in their bag? Well, well, first of all, we don't necessarily walk around with two different weights in our bag, so we need to understand what this is really talking about. Well, the measures in your bag are quite simply what you take when you go to the market to buy or to sell. Well, when you buy, of course, you want to say buy a kilogram of grain in those days. So you you get out your weights, you hand over your hard-earned cash for a kilogram of grain, and you get out your one-kilogram weights so that you know you're getting a kilogram. And then you put it back in your bag. And then you go and sell. And and someone else hands over their hard-earned cash. And and you you get out the weight, the one-kilogram weight, so that everybody knows that they're getting one kilogram. And that's what the weights are used for. They're there to help you as you buy and you sell. But in this bag, there are two different weights. They both say one kilogram on them, but one is 1.5 kilograms, really. And the other is not 0.7, really. And we're forced to ask, why would someone do that? Why that unevenness about these measures? Why that double standard? And at this point, forgive me for stating the obvious. 
You use the heavy one when you're buying, and you use the light one when you're selling. When it comes time to hand over your hard-earned cash, you get the 1.5 kilogram weight out. You pay for one kilogram, but you get a lot more for your money. And then, of course, to repeat the obvious, when you're selling, well, you get out the light weights. It's only 0.7 kilograms. Someone else is handing over their hard-earned cash. They think they're getting a kilogram, but they're getting less than they're due. You give them less than you owe them. So that is really at the heart of this commandment, this two-standard system. And this law is putting its finger on an unevenness deep in our lives. We have one standard when we stand to gain for ourselves, and we have another standard when we're supposed to give to others. When it's, when it's my stuff, and it's my life, and it's my reputation, I have one standard. When it's your stuff, your life, your reputation, I have quite another standard. Uh, when I stand to gain, I take as much as I can for myself. And when I stand to give, well, I give as little as I possibly can. And God reserves his strongest language for this grabbing, what we can for ourselves, not giving what is owed to others. He says he detests anyone who deals dishonestly. And so as we think about what this means for us, this little law forces us to ask uncomfortable questions of ourselves. Things like, do we run a different standards? Do we have an unjust measure when we fill out that insurance claim? Was the shed locked? Was the jewellery worth that much? When we fill out the tax return, it's very easy to massage those figures just a little bit and make it look like we owe less to the revenue than we really do. But God detests anyone who does these things. Or when the builder comes to us and says, well, actually, I've got two different quotes for you. One if you pay cash, another if you're going to pay VAT and be one of those people. And because we're handing over our hard-earned money, we go with a cash option. But we break this commandment, and the Lord says he detests anyone who deals dishonestly. Or what about copyright law? When I need as much of that book as I want, I want to get as much of that book as I want, I ignore the law. When we copy DVDs illegally or sheet music, I apply a standard that suits me when I'm taking. It's a form of robbery. We ought not to do it as a church or as individuals. The Lord detests anyone who deals dishonestly. Or when, as a student, I stand to get a good grade, I even persuade myself that my whole future hangs on this. And so with some clever plagiarism from the internet, I break this commandment. I apply a standard that suits me. And stealing and theft, well, it's a large family in the Bible. It's a large family in chapters 24 and 25. It's got many cousins, people you wouldn't think belong there. A borrowing without asking, borrowing something, not returning it, it's the cousin of stealing. So my house might be full of things that belong to others, and I've got little intention of giving them back. I've got no real intention of returning them. And I'm happy to apply that relaxed standard because it's your stuff in my possession. Or I could steal from my employer. And I do it in perhaps more subtle ways than fiddling the expenses or in the use I make of company stationery. No, I steal perhaps in my idleness. I don't give my employer what I owe them. And I do it subtly, consistently, perhaps. I ease up on my work time. You wouldn't know it from the hours that I do. I do long hours. But you might know it from my productivity. And deep down, I know that I'm not giving what I owe. Well, I break the commandment in that, too. Or I steal from my clients. When I get a taxi home on a personal evening out, and I think, 
I'll put it on the client account. It's for that big multinational. I've given them enough of my time over the years. And yet that is to deal dishonestly and to break this commandment. And God says he detests it. Or I steal from my clients when, when I round up my timesheets and I charge on the basis of my time and the client gets less of my time than they think they're getting. They get less of my time than they're paying for and I break that commandment there. And God detests anyone who deals dishonestly. Or what about someone who is not an employee but an employer? What if we employ other people? in this country, or maybe we employ people from overseas. And I steal from my employers, from my employees rather, in my recklessness about their wages. Either I pay them late, or I don't pay them enough. They ought to receive their wages. The laborer is worthy of his hire, Deuteronomy 24 says. Luke 10, verse 7, 1 Timothy 5, verse 18, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Do I give people less than they are owed. Is there a portion, however small, of our workforce who are exploited? God detests anyone who does these things. Ah, we say, it doesn't happen in our country. It happens overseas. Well, do we just export that kind of exploitation? What about the companies that we invest in? Because if we invest in a company that exploits its workers, we've got to share not just in its equities, but in its stealing and its robbing. And James 5, James chapter 5 in the Bible says we shouldn't, mustn't be indifferent to that. We're indifferent to it because we stand to gain, but it's unjust gain. And James 5 has the strongest words possible. It says, weep and wail, you rich people. Your wealth has rotted. Your corrosion will testify against you because you have heaped up unjust gain in the last days. Why? Because you didn't pay your workers on time. Late payment is robbery. Underpayment, the Bible says, is robbery and reserves the strongest language for it. And yet we can steal by doing absolutely nothing at all. We can steal by not doing our duty. So it might be that uh, we steal from our family. We say, I will not do my duty when it's time for me to give what I owe, perhaps to my wife or to my children. Well, maybe even under the guise of doing other duties, earning money, providing for my family, but I don't give them what I owe them. I don't give them myself. Well, we steal by not doing our family duty. We apply a different measure when it's time for us to give and another measure when it's time for us to take. Well, in that uh, little portion of the law, it's easy to come up against the, uh, the steep north face of this commandment. We've come face to face to it. And we've discovered that the language of the Lord is perhaps the most unnerving thing of all, for he says he detests anyone who does these things. It is the language reserved for God's enemies. And that is exactly right. Do you see in verse 17, the Lord talks about his sworn enemies. Side by side, this little command to his people, he he puts a story, a remembrance of how the enemies of God grabbed. They were grabbers par excellence. Verse 17. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? They met you on your journey. They attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Amalekites saw that train of thousands of people, weak and worn and weary, they just saw what they could get for themselves and they grabbed without thinking about these people. Their motto was grab. They ignored the needs of the other. 
and verse 19, the Lord says, look, there's no place for that kind of person or that pattern where I'm taking you to. For he is leading his people to a different place where his rule holds sway. So you see, the Lord says that his enemies are grabbers, but he is a giver. He is a giver. And we see this particularly in chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. So come more briefly now to chapter 26, where we see that the Lord leads his people from being grabbers to being givers, to being givers. Now, old writers used to say that nature hates a vacuum. So if something else is stopped, something else must take its place. And when grabbing ends, what takes its place amongst the people of God is giving. That's true again and again in the Bible. It's true of Zacchaeus, remember him in the Gospels, robbing and stealing from people. And yet when salvation comes to him and his house, he restores what he's stolen fourfold. He gives. He used to be a grabber and he's now a giver. It's true also in our passage. In verses 1 to 11, we've come to a very different place after two chapters talking about taking and grabbing. We come to a cha- uh, verses all about giving. Six times in this passage, we hear the idea, the word giving, giving, giving. The movement is from grabbing to giving. Uh, and we see in this, almost looking on at a distance, an Israelite, perhaps an Israelite family, and they're bringing in a basket the first fruits of their crop. They're in the land, the promised land, then the Lord's inheritance, and they bring the first fruits of their crops. And we see that the people of God have become givers, amazingly, miraculously. They're not grabbers, but they're givers at this point. And our question is how? How does somebody become a giver who was formerly a grabber? How do we move along that journey? How do we do it? Because it is to do what no law has ever been able to legislate for, to do what no family or school has been able to educate for. It is to change grabbers into givers. But do you notice that actually down through this passage, there is only one person giving. It is the Lord. The way that someone is changed from being a grabber to being a giver, the way that someone who formerly broke this commandment can now keep it, is through the Lord's giving. Through the Lord's giving. Now, uh, the world never understands this. It never has understood this. Um, Some of you might be familiar, maybe not, with um, an old Jimmy Stewart movie from the 1960s called Shenandoah. And Jimmy Stewart in it is, um, he's a widower, so his wife's died. And he's now in charge of the family, looking after all the children. And he sits down one day, there's a great scene, he sits down, to say grace, to give thanks at a mealtime. And he's surrounded by a whole gaggle of children. And his late wife was a Christian. She was a believing woman, and she always prayed with the children. And the children are expecting their father to pray. And he sits down at the table, and he knows what he should do. He knows that he's supposed to give thanks, and he's supposed to say grace. But he's a hard farming man, and uh, he looks around at his children. They all close their eyes and put their hands together. And he says this, Grace, he says, I won't do the accent. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it, if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. 
But we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. And the children uh, gape in amazement at him. And in a sense, Jimmy Stewart at that point, he's speaking for the world. Because the world doesn't know how to acknowledge the Lord's the great giver. It doesn't know where it's come from. The world thinks that it's the last line of defense, the only source of provision. And in that world, our world, the world of the city, the world of the Amalekites and the Egyptians, well, actually, all you can do is grab. Grab for yourself. There's no security or safety in which you can give. But actually, as we come to this little scene, this little scenario, we discover that with Christian giving, with a believer's giving, oh, there's a really different story behind it. This is what enables the believers, believers in God to give. Have a look uh, in verses 5 to 10. This is the story that enables our giving. Verse 5, then you shall declare before the Lord your gods. In a sense, this explains what you've just done. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. He's talking about Abraham. Abraham, who left everything, left his homelands, his family, and went to a new land. But all he had in his back pocket was a promise from this Lord, this God, that he would one day inherit the earth. He would inherit this land and ultimately the earth. And he went down one man and a few people, and look what happened when he went into Egypt. He lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. It's like a rags-to-riches story, but he's no self-made man. The Lord has made him great. The Lord has given generously to him. Verse 6, but the Egyptians ill-treated us, made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. The Lord rescued him and his people. And it's not just the story of this Israelite. It is the story of God's people. The same story is true of us. For in Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Lord has kept his promise to Abraham. He's washed our sins away if we trust in Jesus Christ. He has poured his spirit into our hearts so that we can walk after him and follow and be like him. And verse 9, he brought us to this place, says the Israelite, gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. It is a rags-to-riches story that the believer tells, and it explains how they've been enabled to give, because the Lord has given them everything. And if that uh, is our story this morning, and that is our God's, well then, giving can replace our grabbing. In relationship with this Lord, with this kind of God underwriting us, as it were, well then, we have the power and the possibility of looking at all our resources, all that we have, uh, all that we are, and of giving, giving generously, willingly to others for the sake of God's work and for those in need. We can give. We have the power and the possibility of giving because we have, just like Abraham in our back pocket, that promise that we have an inheritance. The Spirit's been given as a down payment of that inheritance. The Lord is the great giver who stands behind us. He sealed his promise by Jesus Christ and by his Holy Spirit. 
And so then, it is with this eighth commandment, with this eighth commandment, through Christ and with his spirit, in the power of his spirit, that we're shown to be not just lawbreakers, but those who can be law keepers. We can turn from being grabbers to being givers. Slowly and stutteringly, we can become givers. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we confess that your law finds us out, that we are guilty of running double standards, that we grasp what we can for ourselves from others, and we withhold what we should give, what we owe to others. And yet we pray, Father, that you would not only wash away the guilt of our sin, but that you would transform us in the power of your Spirit to be those who give to be those who reflect our covenant God and not your enemies. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.